When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm using every lever available to me to bring down prices for the American people. To diminish uh, the consequences of that are dangerous for our country. Everyone can agree that this inflation uh, is very painful. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Are we about to enter a new period based on the legislation we're seeing of government cracking down on big tech? I could worry about that a lot, a lot, a lot. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to the threshold of the weekend and the fastest hour in politics as we tackle some of the most pressing issues with a special guest. Steve Ballmer is with us, the founder of USA Facts, the owner of the L.A. Clippers, former CEO of Microsoft, and more on his initiative to make government more transparent and facts easier to find. We'll also talk about the impact of inflation, the tech route lately, and what might be next for antitrust here in Washington. Later, two lawmakers reach across the aisle and get something done. We'll have both congressmen, Dusty Johnson, Republican from South Dakota, and John Garamendi, a Democrat from California, on their new legislation to lower shipping costs and inflation. You know, we talk every day here on Bloomberg Radio about government policies, the impact they have on the economy, on people's lives, and in the political sphere. The truth is often tested by the debate. Facts are used and abused, if not overlooked. Not everyone has a Bloomberg in front of them. That's why Steve Ballmer launched a nonprofit called USA Facts, which gathers massive amounts of government data and puts it together, makes it accessible in a way that people can understand the impact of policies and and specifically what we're spending on them. It now boasts an audience about 20 million, equal to the size of a lot of media companies. And I'm glad to say that we're joined by Steve Ballmer, of course, the former CEO of Microsoft, current owner of the LA Clippers, along with his work at USA Facts. Steve, welcome back to Bloomberg. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start with a fun basketball question, but, well, as you know now, I'm from Boston, and I'm just running on empty today. You understand this. I do. I do. I can be (laughs) sympathetic. Thank you. You know, we're always hungry for data here at Bloomberg. I'm guessing you know how to work this terminal a lot better than I do, actually. But 
That's why we were drawn to the work that you're doing at USA Facts, and I appreciate your being here to talk to us about it. The data tell a story and bring context through facts at a time in our history where the idea of facts is being challenged uh, sometimes. Part of the problem that we experience, uh, Steve, here in the news media is the splintering of audiences, right? People seeking information to reinforce what they already believe. You're out with your annual report here. How do you get this in front of people? Well, a lot of work, actually, and we do a combination of trying to help people find via search, our newsletter, come to us directly. And we also buy a lot of advertising. Even though we're Mm -hmm. not-for-profit, we really want people to get the facts, and we're out there, social media primarily, encouraging people to – and when we say the facts, we're saying two things. We're saying numbers, and we're saying history. Mm -hmm. No forecasts. No forecasts. Adjectives. Adjectives can get pretty partisan, ironically. Yes, they can. Uh, numbers don't get very partisan. So uh-huh. we, try to, we try to stick to those two principles. And, of course, we're only using government numbers. Um, I know even those uh, are suspect to some people. I have a lot of faith, though, in our, our government and our statistical agencies. Yeah. Is, is the aim to get this in front of people directly, though? This is a, you know, a direct-to-consumer product, if you will? Or do you want to see news organizations using this in the context of their stories? Is it all of the above? All of the above. Okay. I would say all of the above. Policymakers, uh, media, but primarily consumers. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we produce a lot of things. We produce an uh, annual report. Your audience will understand the notion of producing a 10K, yeah. the Securities and Exchange Commission report, more detail, very dry, mm-hmm. just the numbers. We essentially have a reference library that's searchable on our site to find important numbers and graphics that people might have that are not in our annual documents. And then we try to keep up with current affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, all findable at usafacts.org. There you go. We're uh, not for profits. So I think a little paid yes, you political can, you can do that. <laughs> announcement's okay. I don't have to tell you that people have lost trust in government institutions. This has been a big lesson over the past couple of years. Are we at a point, based on what you just said about words versus numbers, are numbers more valuable than words right now? Numbers and graphics. Okay. Some people don't like numbers. I mean, they just don't resonate. It's just not in people's mind. Charts do a, do more good for some people. But that's a way of delivering numbers. It's a, it is a way of delivering numbers, but it's an important distinction. Okay. I don't want to scare anybody off. Yeah. It just says, hey, look, if you don't want to look at tables of numbers, that's fine. Now, there are people who, I would say, just aren't interested uh, in the news or they're not interested in that middle ground where you really want to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. What really is the quality of our bridges and roads? What really has happened with inflation? If I said to you, fuel prices today, inflation adjusted, are exactly what they were pretty much in 2007. I saw that. Most people go, whoa, that's How's that crazy. Possible? Yeah. But it's true. It may not make people feel any better because people get adjusted to those lower prices. Right. And you know, this is not a USA Facts point of view, but it is my perception that citizens in the United States, our, our population, our population likes consistency. And when things go up and down, whether it's prices or employment or the stock market, that's unsettling to people mm-hmm. uh, because they get used to a certain, a certain way of doing things. And uh, you can see a lot of that uh, in the numbers that are available. Some things just keep getting better, which is awesome. So it's numbers against the backdrop of history. It is. You have to have that context for them to matter. 
without context versus history versus population. Mm-hmm. Some numbers grow just because our population grows. Uh, in the context of other numbers that surround, foreign aid is the easiest example. Foreign aid is roughly 1% of all government spending. And yet I think uh, many Americans will say, no, foreign aid is We're huge. We're giving all if our we, money to everybody. If we just cut it. Yeah. And I think most people think foreign aid goes to poor countries. It doesn't. It actually goes mostly to countries w- with whom we have some kind of military interaction. Our country is trying to emerge from one of the most challenging periods in our history. I think you would agree. A pandemic, an insurrection, if I can use that word, now historic inflation, and a war in Ukraine. I was shocked to read that nearly one out of every 715 people died last year from COVID. What a statistic. That's only in the U.S., which helped to lower the average life expectancy based on your report by almost two years. Where are we in this recovery, culturally, economically? Well, it strikes me, you know, a million people roughly have died. And if you look at the number of people who died in 2021 Mm -hmm. versus 2019, the difference is almost exactly the number of people who died from COVID. So life has been consistent except for this COVID uh, overlay, which has been serious and real. The third largest... um, killer, if you will, in, in 2021 was COVID, wow. behind only heart disease and cancer, which mm-hmm. are generally the, the big two. So it is a, it is a big deal, uh, for sure, and everybody knows that. How are we coming out now? Well, you can take a look at the, the, the numbers, hospitalization, which we have on USA Facts, mm-hmm. hospitalization, cases, deaths. The death rate is down quite dramatically, and that's an adjective. But if you look at it today, I think it's roughly 300-odd people, plus Mm -hmm. or minus, that are dying every day. And I'm not saying that's a trivial number, but I will say in my own case, I've gone from being super, super careful about COVID to just being careful. That's right. Uh, And the numbers do influence the way I think about this. That's the thing, though. This has impacted people's worldview. It's hard to, to measure that with numbers. It is in the short run, and it's not in the long run. How so? Well, in the long run, we're going to see. Are we driving the same number of miles that we did Mm pre-COVID? We're going to see what's going on with commercial office space. Is it the same? We're going to see whether we're producing the same level of of CO2 Mm -hmm. or will things, because of the change in the structure of the economy, will that influence emissions? We will say, see what happens with wages. We will see which sectors of the economy generate more jobs. I mean, there actually yeah. has been an interesting transformation. If you take a look at jobs and job openings, mm-hmm. you know, out of some sectors and into uh, warehousing and transportation, right. logistics. Yeah. It's been a huge grower. And if you stop and say, oh, okay, that matches my mental model, we're in the Amazon Uber Eats generation. That's right. Um, because of the pandemic, it makes sense. You're talking about... Measuring our behavior, though, right? Kind of getting a sense of what we're doing with our day. It's hard to it's hard to measure someone's own perception of their mortality. Yes, I can't I can't dispute that. But let me even take that one on, please, just, just yeah. a little bit, just a little bit. Life expectancy. We don't like forecasts. We don't do forecasts. Understood. At, at USA Facts, life expectancy is actually a forecast, and kind of a wild forecast. We had a pandemic last year. The life expectancy comes down by almost two years. Mm -hmm. But that's for somebody born today. Are we going to have another pandemic in the next 72 years? 
I don't know how the numbers are done. I think they're done professionally. The thing we can look at is the average age at which people die. And if you're thinking, I'm 66 years old, average person in America, pre-pandemic, I don't know the number off the top of my head, would be 72 point something mm-hmm. or 73 approximately. I'm 66 years old. Now, I have to remember that I'm not necessarily going to die at the average age of death. Right. With, but with that said, that probably represents my here and now, the thing that's going to get into my psyche uh-huh. uh, is how long do I have. Right. Uh, at least it gets into my psyche. Which allows you to plan around. Uh, I would like to ask you a little bit more about what's happening in the economy right now. The issue of inflation is overwhelming just about everything else on people's minds. And it's become a big political football here in Washington. If people lost sight of reality when it comes to this, the ability that politicians in Washington have to influence the economy and prices specifically, are people asking for the impossible? Well, there's plenty of data that will give you perspective on this. The thing I encourage people to look at is chart what's going on with GDP, mm-hmm. chart what's going on with interest rates. We have it all. It's all at usafacts.org. Uh, look at what's happened for long-term investment in our economy through capital expenditures and R&D, not just by government, yeah. but by private industry. And then ask yourself, which things are consistent? No matter what government does, Is R&D expenditure pretty consistent? The answer, by the way, to that one is yes. Mm -hmm. Are some things wild swingers? Yeah, there's some things that are wild swingers, whether it's employment or income. Many of them do correlate with a government action. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could see them on a chart. And they're not all positive uh, correlation. You know, I think many people are very thankful for government response to the pandemic. And yet somebody can look at that and say, huh, I wonder if government response to the pandemic had anything to do with the current situation that we're in. It's, sure. it's a hotly debated topic. It, it I'm is. not going to try to give causality. But when but, people wake up every morning and say, well, damn it, Joe Biden, how come you haven't fixed this since yesterday? Or the Federal Reserve, when is this going to be done? There's only so much perhaps, that Washington can do. Perhaps it's because you know I'm very, I've been fortunate and very well off. My read is that government response often triggers a positive and a negative reaction. Hmm. And if you go back and take a look at what happened before 2008, USA Facts, go look at it. I think you'll find some interesting things that happened. Yeah. And then we went way up, and then we came way down. Same thing before 2000, uh, the dot-com bubble right. in the early 2000s. Same thing, you know, we had the pandemic. And obviously, we needed to come out. But man, did we come out too strong? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as you should, said, should Washington do more, or are we better off in some cases letting, uh, I'll just say, the markets and our economy right. take care of things? And I'm not saying government shouldn't do anything. I think of government, in some senses, as the insurance company of last resort. It sounds like you see an impact. It just might not always be a good one. Correct. Correct. And there are times it makes. Perfect sense. Yeah. In the pandemic, at least at some level, for the government to step in mm-hmm. made sense. The yeah. level's the question. Yeah, the level's the question. Infrastructure bill. Yeah. If you actually look at the numbers, as pre- as presented by the uh, uh, Department of Transportation, guess what? Our roads and bridges have been improving slowly but steadily with the level of expenditure that existed pre the infrastructure bill. Hmm. In fact, most of the money gets spent anyway by state and local government. Mm-hmm. 
Did we need an additional dose of money? I just pose it as a question. You mentioned 2001.com. There have been a lot of comparisons in this market downturn recently. Do you see parallels, or are we in just a different world right now? We are in a – well, if you just look at the context, we're in a different world. We're in a different interest rate environment, yep. which I think is, is very important. Different profitability uh, environment. Different profitability. Different uh, environment in terms of deficit spending, mm-hmm. which has its own characteristics in terms of driving markets, driving inflation. So you don't feel that despair that you may have – back then? Ironically, as CEO of Microsoft at the time, I did not feel despair. Hmm. I felt opportunity because while everybody else was running for the hills in the tech industry saying, ah, the world's a disaster, I saw that as a time for us to double down and invest uh, and build talent. Mm -hmm. Now, we had people who were panicky, but we could take care of that in terms of what we did for people with compensation. So that one... It wasn't a broader, it was a less broad economic hit. I want to ask you about Washington's relationship with high tech, because loving to hate big tech has become a hobby for both Democrats and Republicans. But for different reasons, it's, it's actually fascinating to me. Progressives think big tech is too big, what, too big to fail, whatever it might be, too influential. Conservatives say their voices are being censored. As someone with firsthand experience, though, dealing with antitrust at Microsoft... Are we about to enter a new period based on the legislation we're seeing of government cracking down on big tech? I could worry about that a lot, a lot, a lot. And now we're sort of past USA facts. So I'll just give you my opinion. Yeah. The great productivity improvement in our economy, not growth in people, not inflation, but the key driver of GDP is productivity growth. My opinion, my reading would say the great driver of that has been technology. And nobody should want to slow down the innovation that comes from technology. There's a role in the technical uh, technology business for startups. Mm. They change things. But there are also things that you can only do if you have large R&D budgets like Microsoft, Google, Apple, etc. Mm-hmm. So those are important things. Now, are there things where it's appropriate for government to take a look and say, hey, something should change. I believe that. I think part of the problem, the way that happens oftentimes, though, is government wants to vilify. The tech, I, I felt vilified when we got hit with an antitrust lawsuit. The truth is we ran our business, we ran it well, and then somebody did decide we should change our practice. Yeah. Not that it was evil, but that wasn't the communication. Mm-hmm. In the big tech world of today, I think people are getting vilified as opposed to appropriately regulated. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, I think regulation should come from uh, the agencies as opposed to the Congress because there's a lot of nuance. If you say, hey, what can you express or not express on Twitter or Facebook, the truth of the matter is deciding those issues as a matter of policy, there's complicated questions. And you want real experts on the government side in addition to the tech side to figure those things out. Mm -hmm. So do I worry about where things are going? Yeah, I worry about R&D spending. Mm -hmm. I, I know we could slow these tech companies down in ways we don't intend. It's okay if there are ways in which we really intend through regulation, but I have a lot of concern about it. As a majority shareholder of of Microsoft, I'm assuming you still are, do you worry then about the government stepping in on this Activision acquisition? Is that still a good idea in your view? 
I think the Activision, and I've said this uh, to, to management team, I'm, I'm excited about the Activision uh, acquisition they want to do. They do need to get through the Hartscott uh, Rodino yeah. process. And you see Elizabeth Warren sending out tweets about it, and you start to wonder. But uh, yes and no. There's a reason why we have independent uh, review and a Justice Department, mm-hmm. an FTC that reviews these kinds of transactions. They are not political decisions. And you could say, hey, in some administrations, things go a little more this way, a little bit more that way, yeah. which is true. Yeah. But these are generally very high-integrity people who are trying to make the right decision uh, for, for consumers and businesses. So you see it going through? That I can't predict. I'm not close enough to the situation. I'll just keep my fingers crossed. What do you do for fun? Do you play an Xbox? <laughs> no, my kids are all gamers. I am not. I am not a gamer. I will confess. You know, to people that. have very simple questions about someone with your level of success. What do you do for fun? And by the way, what are you doing here? You could be on an island right now. <laughs> for fun, for me, uh, the n- most fun thing I did for most of my life, or much of my life, was go to my kids' sporting events. Hmm. My kids are all grown. Now they go to your sporting events. Exactly. <laughs> Going to Clipper games is the most fun thing I do. I mean, I play golf, and I exercise, and a variety of other things. But it is just such a rush. Not not quite as good as your kids' games. There's nothing quite like the, about that. About the emotion and tied to that. Yeah. But, but uh, being chairman of the Clippers... You know, that's, as they say, the next best thing to being there. Steve Ballmer, thank you for bringing us the data, USA Facts, and for your insights today on Bloomberg. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Fascinating conversation you will only hear on Bloomberg, of course. Speaking of inflation, uh, which we spent a little bit of time on, Charlie Pellet mentioned this earlier, a new plan to fight inflation uh, being prepared by the White House and congressional Democrats. This just broke a short time ago. As I read on the terminal, advanced talks underway On a package that would likely include capping the price of insulin, you've heard of these at least individually uh, proposed already, and investments in both clean energy and fossil fuels. That, according to our White House team, talking with sources and agreement, they say could emerge as soon as next week. So next week could be another doozy. The January 6th committee, of course, resumes hearings next week as well. And coming up, we're going to take a look at how this is playing before audiences. Of course, in our splintered media universe aforementioned, we're going to get into it with Bloomberg Media reporter Jerry Smith. We'll check traffic and markets on the way. Thanks for spending some time with us on a Friday. It's Sound On, and this is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. 
Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Two more hearings are set for next week for the select committee investigating the attack on the Capitol January 6th. As it went from primetime last week to daytime this week, and we've been taking a look at the ratings and getting a sense of how much of an impact this might be having. People have been trying to compare it to Watergate, of course. Uh, you know, Iran-Contra, think of the hearings that you know have images burned in your brain that actually drew people to their TV sets. Now there's a lot more than TV. This is playing across Twitter and Facebook, social media, and everywhere else, chopped up in bits, and it's consumed in different ways, which is why we wanted to talk about this with Bloomberg Media reporter Jerry Smith. Jerry, thanks for being with us. Let's start with what we know in terms of TV ratings. I, I remember 20 million was the number for the primetime debut. Where did it go from there? So the uh, the second hearing earlier this week got about 11 million viewers. So it was a, a decline from the first hearing. But, you know, it's important to note that it was uh, the first hearing was in prime time. Yeah. And the second hearing started at, at 10 a.m. Uh, in the morning. A, a lot of people are at work. So, I mean, that, that has to have factored into the, the ratings being lower. And of course, a lot of people are watching at work, and that's, I guess, that's the interesting part now of capturing ratings, and that this is the deal for all traditional media, because you're cannibalized to some extent, or maybe to a great extent, uh, by internet viewing. People are streaming it on Twitter, on platforms that, I don't know, or how, how do these all get recognized? Right. I mean, the, uh, the way that we measure TV audiences uh, is much more complicated than it was for the Watergate hearings, where it was mm -hmm. just a few channels. I mean, people are streaming this and there's not really uh, a good way to to count all those eyeballs across TV and streaming. Um, so it's, it's an imperfect uh, number that we're getting. But it is directionally um, shows you how it's going to be a challenge for this here, uh, this committee to to continue uh, after the first hearing where they got 20 million viewers, which is a pretty good number, uh, you know, continue to draw uh, that 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 audience for, for a congressional hearing. hearing. <laughs> it's a really good number. Uh, of course, to your point, I mean, I, there was an unsuspecting audience there. My gosh, you put it on every network sans Fox at eight o'clock and a lot of people are going to end up watching it. I'm sure many intentional, but put it in context for us. Uh, if you can, Jerry, I, I mean, I guess against big speeches, state of the union, maybe political conventions, what does 20 million mean for politics? Well, I mean, it's going to be less than your state of the uh, state of the union address. And it's going to be less than, you know, speeches uh, where presidential candidates have accepted the nomination during the conventions. But, you know, it, it's right up there pretty close to, um, you know, uh, the Bob Mueller hearings that, that got a lot of attention. Um, so, you know, 11 million, 20 million, it, it's it's much larger than you're going to get for most, uh, you know, entertainment television shows on TV these days. Yeah, right. Absolutely. The uh, the State of the Union this time around in 2022 had 32 million, which was a drop of two million from 2020 uh, when Joe Biden was first talking to Congress. It's interesting to look at the. Just the comparison here, you know, whether this was the Oscars of politics or not, 
Uh, did you think they can duplicate that debut audience on the last night? Because it goes back to prime time for the last full smash here, right? I, I think it's going to be challenging. I, I think there was a lot of excitement and build up to the first hearing. Um, and, you know, now we've had several hearings and, and it's possible that people have felt like they're getting a little fatigued by it. Yeah. Um, so that's a real challenge for the, hear- the committee and, and they're doing their best. I mean, they've, um, they're trying to really slickly uh, produce these hearings. Um, they're in, it's not like a typical hearing where people are, um, you know, you're getting the raw footage and people are going on and on when they're answering questions. I mean, a lot of these um, sound bites have been edited down. Uh, these are video testimony in a lot of cases that have been edited to really the most um, you know, important sound bites, and they're even trying to tease what they're going to have in the next hearing at the end of the hearing to yeah. kind of almost as if a TV show saying, you know, next, <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for the next episode, that that sort of thing. So they're doing the best they can to keep uh, Americans engaged. Yeah, they literally have been. Uh, it's been interesting to to consider the impact that uh, that this former president of ABC News that they've. They've hired and Republicans have tried to make a thing out of this. The impact that he's had on the production values here. Um, you're a media reporter. You do this for a living. What do you make of the optics of it so far? Is that actually having an impact? We've also had some you know, pretty dry opening statements. We've had some very cautious testimony in some cases. How does this play to someone who's used to watching Law and Order at eight o'clock? <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a good question. And I, I think that it's... Um, you know, it's it's just it's very different than your typical hearing, and it is more engaging than your typical hearing. Mm-hmm. And that is something that the House Committee has really tried to do. I mean, they really spent a lot of time with their investigation, and they want they don't want it to fall on deaf ears. They want to keep people entertained and engaged. Um, so, you know, it remains to be seen whether all the networks are going to carry all the hearings. I was going to um, ask you that. We don't know that about the the final night either, do we? We don't know. I mean, Fox News uh, got a lot of criticism for not carrying the uh, the first hearing in prime time, and, and instead they they chose to stick with their typical lineup of um, you know Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson. They they did uh, air the second hearing, but we don't know whether they're going to continue. And their audience um, is certainly um, you know uh, they're catering to a Republican audience that um, maybe doesn't want to hear some of the findings. So it's. Um, you know, all the, most of the other networks are, are carrying it, but, um, and, and people are watching online. I, I just think when you have so many hearings, it's difficult to keep people engaged. Uh, night Do you find night. yourself watching it in, in sort of long form on TV or are you, are you consuming it in chunks on social media? Well, I mean, that's, that's an excellent point. I just think this whole media landscape is so different and it's not just Absolutely. the hearings, but, but everything, I mean, even sports. Um, and certainly uh, cable news is a lot of people are just going through Facebook and Twitter and getting uh, little video clips um, that people have, have edited, um, oftentimes edited in such a way that that confirms their political beliefs. Yeah, so exactly. that's the media landscape that we live in. Uh, it, it's a far cry from the Iran-Contra hearings or the Watergate right. hearings. It's just a very different world we live in now where people can kind of create their own media world Back when there were three channels it re- certainly brings us back to our conversation earlier this hour with steve balmer jerry it's great to have you with us i appreciate your insights jerry smith bloomberg media reporter with us on bloomberg sound on i'm joe matthew in washington you made it to friday and glad you're here on the fastest hour in politics as we turn to something that actually got done if you could consider on capitol hill a d and an r two lawmakers 
in an interesting approach towards solving the problem of inflation. And it starts with the shipping going into our ports. It's coming up next. We'll check traffic and the markets for you, too, if you dare. Charlie Pellet will have an update next. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. The White House and Democrats in Congress are making progress on a new plan to fight inflation as we're reading on the terminal. We told you earlier this hour, a breaker here, a bill they say could emerge next week. This would follow what the president signed into law this week, an actual bipartisan piece of legislation aimed at lowering inflation by way of our ports. You heard the president call out the five big shipping companies last week in his speech at the port of L.A. The new ocean shipping law cracks down on price increases, increases transparency, they say. And we're joined by a Democrat and a Republican who helped to make the legislation happen. Representative John Garamendi, Democrat from California and Congressman Dusty Johnson, Republican, South Dakota. Welcome to Bloomberg. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you. I want to start with some numbers. 369 to 42. A rare bipartisan win these days in Washington. Congressman Johnson, I thought Democrats and Republicans were not allowed to work together. How did it happen? Well, there are a few people in Washington who (laughs) are interested in solving problems rather than just complaining about them. And uh, John Garamendi and I are, are both people who actually care about getting stuff done. And when you have a problem as big as the supply chain crunch, and you get hardworking people and hardworking staff. Yes, actually, you can get some things done in Washington still. Congressman Garamendi, how did it get done? It took several swings at the ball before you got that nice bipartisan win. Well, first of all, there was a serious problem, a very, very serious problem facing agriculture in my district and Dusty uh, in his own district. And so that gave us the impetus. We were representatives. We were supposed to be dealing with the problems that our constituents have. Mm -hmm. And so we started working on it. And as we began putting together the legislation, well, first understanding what the problem was, where it was coming from, and and then figuring out what to do about it, uh, we discovered that it wasn't just agriculture. This is a problem that was facing uh, the entire American economy at least that portion of it that uh, exports goods uh, all around the world. And so uh, we wound up with uh, Amazon and Walmart and uh, Home Depot and mm-hmm. the retail industry and uh, agriculture and on and on. 
uh, saying, hey, we, we're part of this. Uh, we want to be part of this because we're looking for a solution to our problem. And, and that's where, where it grew. And ultimately, that led to uh, the uh, bipartisan. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would say it, the entire American economy, except uh, the ocean shippers. They didn't think much of this piece of legislation, but uh, <laughs> they were well, the I'll, I'll be curious to hear a little more about that because we spent the last year here at Bloomberg talking about supply chain and inflation, probably more than any uh, two single issues. And of course, they cross over here. They certainly do in your bill. Uh, Congressman Johnson, it was written out of a need, as you've both expressed here, and a big shift in shipping following the pandemic. When do we see implementation and maybe a better question, uh, alleviation on the supply chain? Is this a long term fix or can we see something soon? Well, this is something we've needed for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. the pandemic really laid bare uh, the, the problem, but the problem's been there for a while. The reality is that uh, all of the uh, large ocean carriers that take American goods to Asia are foreign flagged. And the five mm-hmm. biggest uh, of these carriers control 70 or 75 percent of the market. Yeah. And, and I believe in the free market, but the free market is many buyers and many sellers. And in that way, people can keep each other honest. That is not what you have in this ocean carrier industry. And as a result, they were in a position where they could discriminate against American goods. And that's exactly what they were doing. Last year, 60% of the containers that went back to Asia went back empty at a time uh, when uh, American agricultural goods were literally rotting on the port. So your question about how quickly will this get fixed, I talked to the chairman of uh, the Federal Maritime Commission, these are the cops on the beat that we've given the new authority to. They've said that things have already gotten better, hmm. that just the fact that Congress spoke with one voice uh, with strong bipartisan support put uh, these folks on notice that if they step out of line, if they don't play by some basic rules of the road, there are going to be they're going to be held accountable. And so things have already gotten better. But I think over the course of the next year, as the Federal Maritime Commission uh, completes their rulemaking, you're going to see things uh, progress even further. Congressman Garamendi, this legislation bars uh, these ocean carriers we're talking about from from declining opportunities for U.S. exports to to Congressman Johnson's uh, point, going back to port empty. That's something that can take effect now. But can it also increase congestion at our ports? Uh, Probably not. Uh, The problem of port congestion had to do with the uh, really the, the, the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Of, the, of the world economy, and then the rapid reopening of it, and then the surge of imports uh, into the United States from uh, the Asian countries because of the pent-up demand and, and, the, uh, and also the, uh, the, the amount of goods that were available to be shipped. That was uh, the initial cause of the congestion. But that congestion also is one of the uh, factors in the current inflation problem. Uh, the cost of uh, because there was such a demand in the Pacific countries to import into the United States, mm-hmm. that allowed the ocean shippers to take advantage of that demand and the concentration that uh, Dusty just mentioned, where they there was no other competition. So the cost went up tenfold at at minimum, at least tenfold yeah. for the. Uh, importation for the cost of importing, and that cost was directly passed on to American consumers 
in what we now call inflation. So I think I understand how you're both going to answer this with with that said. But I wonder if you agree with what President Biden has been saying. And just just as recently in, in your state, Congressman Garamendi, at the Port of L.A., about a week ago, that the marketplace manipulation is partly to blame and, and monopolization for the backlog, that there is, in fact, some gouging going on here. Do you both see it that way? First off, I, I would note that uh, we know that this is not a silver bullet. I mean, mm-hmm. some of this inflation is natural, uh, you know, particularly as it relates to products coming into this country. There's a tremendous amount of demand for consumer electronics from Asia. Yeah. And so if you don't have enough slots on a ship, how do you figure out how do you ration uh, that access. And so you do understand why prices uh, would go up as you go from Asia to America. It made a lot less sense as it, re- as it was related to how do you get products from America over, uh, over to Asia where people have purchased them. Yes. That did not seem to make as much economic sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, frankly, our bill, you asked uh, John if it was going to make the congestion worse. It's not, because right now we've got all these American egg products uh, they're on the port. They're in the way. They're making yeah. it harder to get products in and out. Getting those American egg products back out to the customers that want to buy them is actually going to make the whole system run a lot better. The foreign flagged uh, ocean carriers, it's not their job uh, to do to make their decisions on the basis of what is right for America. Sure. That's Congress's job. And so these guys are going to increase rates when they can increase rates. They're going to treat American companies poorly. And when we see these abuses, it's our job. It's Dusty Johnson's job. It's John Garamendi's job to step up and say, wait a second. What's the appropriate regulatory regime here to make sure that if you're going to show up and use American ports, that you have to play by some basic rules of the road. That's why this was such a big bipartisan success. Sure. I ask about congestion just out of curiosity. Does it cause ships to wait to refill uh, instead of, you know, getting out of the port and heading back empty if that creates a wait time? And I also wonder about the ground aspect of this, uh, some of the, the the reaction that we heard from the carriers uh suggested that we needed to do more for for our our landborn shipping uh process here as well because we've seen obviously trucks lining up even after the president brought the ports to 24 7 on the west coast congressman garamendi how tight is that situation now trying to find drivers trying to move goods once they get to the port well dusty hit part of this and that is if you if you have agricultural exports that are waiting to be shipped you now have congestion at the dock the more of those containers that get on the ship and go uh, back to Asia, the less congestion there will be on the dock. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other piece of this issue is that there is a very powerful economic incentive for the ocean shippers to get that contain that empty container back to the Western Pacific, back to China, Japan, wherever, because they are able to get perhaps 10 times more payment from the China exporter yep. than they would get from the American exporter. That empty container can be turned around very, very quickly okay. in China. But if it's full of American exports, it would probably take two or three weeks or maybe even a month before that empty container is ready to be put back on a ship. That's very helpful information. Lastly, Congressman Johnson, your thought on that, uh, as we heard the reaction from the World Shipping Council that America needs to make the same commitment to invest in its landside logistics infrastructure. What do we need to do on our end? 
Well, yeah, the ports are not the only problem. We're 80,000 truck drivers short in this country. Yep. Uh, there's a lot we can do there. Uh, you know, and just recently, uh, we it's gotten harder to get a CDL. And I think we probably want to make sure we're right-sizing that safety and regulatory regime. Mm-hmm. And and we also have a lot of young drivers. I mean, people who have driven tanks for Uncle Sam, uh, they can drive up and down the coast of California all week long, but they can't go from California to Arizona until uh, they're 21. Uh, there's a pilot project that uh, is going to make it easier for some younger drivers. That's safe, right, yeah. Younger drivers. Would you guys both collaborate on a trucker's bill, a driver's bill? Well, listen, if it's going to move the ball forward, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that uh, I think you're going to see Team Garamendi and Team Johnson work together on because uh, this is not a one-off. Uh, we want to continue to work uh, to make things better. Congressman Garamendi and Johnson, we thank you for being here together. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. See you next week. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.